Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Lord, I think you can have fun and just enjoy relationships together. And it's at this moment, Father, we come into your hands to thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who's provided the foundation for our identity. We thank you for your love for us, things that we're going to see today in this passage. Lord, thank you for all of them. Thank you for those hymns we sang that just reflected on these verses that we're looking at now. So we ask, Lord, that you would teach us through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. I think the key word, uh, we're going to learn about the mystery, but the key word in the book of Ephesians is the word identity. Because we learn about our identity, and um, that's important for us. There's a, a TV show called The Biggest Loser. I've never seen it, but someone was reporting to me this week that this show, it's been on for quite some time. This show uh, is about these big people who are losing weight, and they do it in a lot of unhealthy ways, um, so not a good example. But this lady was telling me how she likes to watch the show because it's motivation for her to lose weight. She says, but one of the things they say in the show is, is that you have to, um, if you lose all that weight, you're just going to gain it back unless you change the person you are. I thought, well, that's Ties right into what I'm thinking here about Ephesians, but I think the Lord would say in regards to this, you're going to regain the weight unless you understand the person that you are in Christ. And that's what we're going to see. Whether it's trying to lose weight or it's trying to... Um, uh, a teenager, teenage boy, feeling the shame of pornography and, and realizing the need to change. There's a... Um, a child who's saying, I'm an idiot, nobody likes me, or it's a man who didn't have an anger problem until he got married, and now he has more anger than he imagined, and that was nothing compared to having kids, so he has a lot of anger now, and he's trying to change that. If you're going to make a change in your life, you want to start with identity, identity in Christ, and then we take a step from there. So the first step is always identity. Think about what God wants you to do in your life. I want to take you in the next step of your personal development because it's going to start with your identity. Now, we have to reclaim some words here from uh, humanism, so I want to look at these words with you for a moment. There are three words. One is identity. That is who you are. And there are some people who have an identity of being a victim because they've suffered greatly in their lives. And I don't want to minimize the suffering, but you don't have to live with the victim mentality because you have an identity that's different that God wants you to get to know. It's that identity that we want to be able to understand because it's going to help us greatly. Another word is self-concept, which is a word that describes our attitude toward ourselves. What kind of an attitude should we have toward ourselves since we are rooted in Christ and understand that? And self-esteem has more to do with feelings, how I feel about myself based on these other things. And sometimes Christians don't like these words because they have self in them, and of course, we as Christians know that 
any self-esteem or self-concept needs to be rated in Christ. So sometimes we would say Christ-esteem or Christ-concept. That's great. But we still have to view ourselves and feel about ourselves in a certain way. And I think we're going to learn today that we can root those things into Jesus Christ himself. And when we do, it changes how we feel about ourselves, how we view ourselves, and it changes our identity. That's what we're going to see today as we go through this passage. Well, we better um, show you one more thing. Don't get ready to read it yet. I, I, I think that there's some mistakes. So I drew this diagram. If you, what I'm trying to measure here in this diagram, I want to show you that uh, you can have a boost in self-confidence and self-esteem with toys and activities and pleasures and job and money or other things. You can have a boost in your self-concept. That, that's why the line is high at the front. But those things diminish over time. And so parents, as they're working with their children, will often buy them toys or make them feel happy or get them involved in, in various things like sports. and other, not, None of those are bad. But if they're using those to bolster self-esteem or bolster self-concept, they are going to diminish over time. If you're a teenager trying to find your identity and, and understand what that looks like, you can be careful that you don't use comparison, that you don't just use pleasure, or sometimes young people like to you know, change something on their person, their hair, or their clothes, or their, their piercings, or whatever. And those give them this sense of identity. But you have to realize those are going to diminish over time. The same thing's true with adults, that sometimes adults can get tied into their job, and that becomes their identity. You have to realize that those things become less value over time. But if we understand Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, we're going to start small. We're going to understand these principles about what identity is, even as a child. And we're going to recognize that we are a child of God and what God has done for us, not only creating us, but then redeeming us. And from that, we're going to grow. And so then we will have that stamina that we need inside. When we recognize that, that our, our self-concept is based on Jesus Christ... It gives us this identity that's so powerful and allows us to continue on in life. Much stronger in that regard. That's what we're going to learn in this book in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I read the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. It reads this way, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. To him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
You may be seated. And so you might be saying, okay, you're telling me I'm going to explain to a five-year-old all of that so he can have his self-identity and his identity and self-concept built on that? And I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to show you how today, show you what it looks like. I want to break it down into pieces, but before I do, let's just start look at the introduction to the book. Notice the book is written by Paul, and it's written to a particular group of people, the Ephesians. Now, Paul spent about three years in Ephesus building the church there. He'd invested quite a bit of time in about 44 to 48 around there uh, A.D., and about 15 years later then, he writes this book to the Ephesians. And notice who he's addressing the book to. It's to not just all the people who live in Ephesus. He's addressing the book to the saints who are in Ephesus. Those are the believers, the Christians, the people who are disciples of Christ, the ones following the Lord, the ones in the church. But it's not just all the Christians. Notice he gives them a further definition. He says that they are the faithful ones in Christ Jesus. That's like you and me the ones who are faithful enough to come to church or to invest in serving in God's church. He's writing to these people, and he wants them to understand their identity. There are other books that are written uh, to other audiences, but this one is written to the faithful saints in Ephesus, which gives us great confidence that we can look at this and understand more about what God wants to say to us in our lives. He starts then, as he enters after the greeting, he says this to them, blessed, and I want to underline those three times that blessed is used, not to be confused with the one in verse 6. So if you're underlining the word blessed, you're going to underline these three. Verse 6 is a different Greek word for blessed, but underline these three there in your book or circle them and draw a line across because I want you to know the Greek word here. It's eulogetos, where we get our word eulogy from which means to speak well of or to say nice things or something like that. That's what it means. But when we understand this idea of being blessed in, in the kingdom of God, it has this idea to be favored or privileged. And this is how we enter into this idea of identity, that God has favored us. He's blessed us. We are, we are privileged. And he's going to share with us several ways in which we're privileged in this passage. But I want you to say, see that he lays out this tone right at the beginning that say, we are blessed. And notice what the words say. That we're blessed, God, Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're going to see the word every here, but you're going to see a number of words that are, we call them hyperbole. There are big words that make this grand in this passage. I'll try to point some of them out. I might miss the, some of them, but you might highlight them or mark them as words with an exclamation point because those words are demonstrating how big this blessing is. And so he's blessed us in, uh, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, starting in verse 4, he's going to tell us six different things that we can embed our our self-concept in and our identity. I want to point out which each of those are. In fact, let me just give you an overview quickly of what they are, and then we'll look at them independently. These are the six things. I'm going to show you exactly where they come right out of the text. I'm not making this up. I'm just taking the text and allowing it to speak. And these are the six things that you want to invest in in your own life. Each one of these things are very important that help us understand our identity in Christ. It's these things that are the first step towards significant change in the way you think, in the way you act, in what you believe. So if you have a challenge going on in your life, this is the first step you want to take to be the new you because you're based in the identity that God has given to you. One, we're chosen by God. We'll see. I'm going to take each one of these individually and spend some time with them. We're redeemed and forgiven. 
He's lavished grace on us. He makes known the mystery or the secret. We've obtained an inheritance, and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Those are the six things. So I can't spend a lot of time on each one because i got six things to go through here as we're going through the passage. But if you're having a, a challenge in your identity or you're deciding you're going to do something new in your life, whether you're going to work on your anger or lose weight or whatever it might be, manage stress better, this is where you start. And I would encourage you to create a page in a notebook for each one of these and start listing the things you say because you're chosen, listing the things that you believe because you're redeemed and forgiven so that you have the, the thought patterns down so you're not saying, oh, I'm an idiot. Nobody likes me. Whether you're five years old or 50, we make those statements to ourselves, and they're not helpful, and God wants us to have this identity in Christ. We're going to look at each one of these now, and I want you to see each Bible verse where they come from. So let's start with verse 4 now, where it says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Glorious grace. Notice it's this uh, hyperbole again. You can put an exclamation point by that particular word. Now, this chosen is described in a number of different ways here. It's chosen. Notice it says that he predestined us. We're chosen to be holy and blameless. We are adopted. It's by the purpose of his will. All of those things to the praise of his glorious grace. Each one of those describes more about what it means to be chosen. This idea of being chosen is very important for us in our identity. We all have this need to be chosen. Advertisers know this. I get mail from credit card companies that says, you've been chosen. I think sometimes people want to appeal to that desire we have to be chosen because it makes us feel special. I don't feel very special to go in debt with a credit card, but I do feel special when God has chosen me. I imagine myself back on the playground when I was a child and we're picking out teams and all of us are lined up against the backstop to play baseball and the uh, two captains are chosen and they're picking people. And you don't want to be the last person to be picked. And when they choose you, you go, yes, I'm chosen. The same thing is true in our spiritual lives to recognize that God has chosen us. And we recognize he's chosen us. It gives us that sense of identity that, yes, what has he chosen me for? Why has he placed me in this situation? Being chosen is so valuable and, and true. Now, in each one of these six different things that we're going to look at, I want to attach them to a spiritual discipline because the spiritual discipline, if practiced, will help us focus in on that piece of our identity. You could have chosen other disciplines. I have just picked out six of them that I think are helpful for us as we're practicing that particular element of our identity. So the element of our identity is we're chosen. And how are we going to zero in on that in our lives? I suggest we use the spiritual routine of prayer because it's this direct connection with the Lord. It's like you have the special earphones in your ears and you can be talking to the Lord and, and uh, we can interact with him anytime during the day. If you're a young person, you want to invest in this part of your spiritual identity and you want to develop your prayer life so you're interacting with God in the course of things and seeing how he's working, asking him to guide you and lead you. And as you do, he's going to affirm inside of you, you're chosen, you're mine. 
prayer is so important. Sometimes a parent will say, well, I don't like to pray out loud. My response to that is, get over it. This is too important in the lives of your children. They must learn how to pray. You want to be able to do that. Young people, learn how to pray and, and uh, talk to the Lord. If you're an older person, learn how to pray. This is such an important part of us connecting with the Lord, and it helps us then if we're praying, we can see how we're chosen because we're interacting with God every day, and it's just the beauty of prayer itself. Well, let's go on to the next one. We're redeemed and forgiven. In him, let's read the verse, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. One of the things that hinders us, I think, sometimes from feeling good about ourselves is our mistakes, our sins, our weaknesses, our brokenness. And we start saying to ourselves, I'm unworthy, I'm unloved, I'm unacceptable, God doesn't want me in his presence, or something like that. It's foolishness. And we must learn how to accept the forgiveness of God, and then we learn to forgive ourselves too and forgive other people. Forgiveness is so important in here. And so we start with the redemption through the blood of Christ because that is what provides us with the forgiveness of our sins. We get it through Christ, not by doing better works than we did before. It's we get forgiveness from Jesus Christ because of our sins. This is so valuable, and I would suggest that the spiritual routine is confession. We don't confess to a, go to a priest to confess now. What we do is we come to the Lord, and we just confess our sins to the Lord. And sometimes that's easier than confessing it to our husband or wife. But sometimes this idea of confession is so valuable because it creates this humility in us that says, yes, I will take responsibility for my mistakes. The person who has poor identity issues is the person who's blaming their problems continually on other people. You know those people. You try to confront them, and they always have a reason. They, they're justifying it. They're trying to uh, defend themselves. And see, when we're Christians, we don't have to do that. We can say, you're right, I was wrong. I want to learn from that. I want to grow. That's the beauty of understanding what redeemed and forgiven means. And so we practice that in our lives. At any age, we learn how to take responsibility for our own mistakes, and we address them, and we admit them, and we can go on because we are forgiven and we are redeemed. The third one is that we're, we have this lavished grace. The verse says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Notice here's a two more words you can put an exclamation point by, the riches of his grace. I mean, it's just telling you how much grace you have, just so much of it which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and in insight. And so we look out at life and we see so many ways that God is blessing us. You just see the sunrise is just for me, you know, or the, those flowers that you see that will be coming up soon. I know it doesn't look like it, but they will be coming up soon. I mean, continually God does things in our lives that remind us of his grace. This week I was totally out of my league. I had a plumbing problem that I determined to solve myself and not get a plumber because I didn't want it wasn't it wasn't that big of a problem but I have no idea what I'm doing and so I go to the plumbing supply house with photos a tape measure a picture of the tape measure on my pipe that I've got a cap off and I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do with this I have no idea so I go to the plumbing supply house to try to get some help and I'm thinking how am I going to tell the story of this guy they're going to laugh at me in the plumbing supply house like what's this guy doing here because he doesn't know what he's doing I walk in the door 
of the plumbing supply house, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And what do I do? I meet Mike Bacon in there. He's in the plumbing supply house. He's the plumber here at Grace Way Bible Church. And so uh, he says, what are you trying to do? He says, I don't know. I said, I'm totally out of my league here. He says, I showed him the picture. He says, I know what you want. And he goes out to his truck. I didn't have to pay for anything. I said, this is so amazing that you're here. And he says, yes, it's a God moment. And he's right. It's God's grace working in my life. I think the spiritual routine that we can exercise here is gratitude. So many times in lives, we miss the good things that are going on. We're not grateful for them. I took my grandchildren on an adventure yesterday. It was a two-hour walking adventure. And in the last 15 minutes, um, uh, Everett was saying, oh, my feet hurt. I said, you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Think about what you're grateful for. Think about positive things. And so for the last 15 minutes, while his feet were hurting and he was kind of limping along, we talked about the positive things. And isn't that what we all need to do in our lives? Gratitude is this powerful tool that God has given to us. It's a spiritual routine that we must develop in our lives because it helps us recognize the gratitude, just helps us recognize the grace of God that He lavishes on us so much that He gives us. I hope as we're going here, okay, we're just looking at the first three here, but I think as you're seeing them, you're starting to feel better about yourself, aren't you? Your self-esteem is increasing because you're seeing that your, your self-concept, your self-esteem, your identity is based in Jesus Christ. It's rooted there. And the more you practice this, more of the good things are going to happen, which we'll talk about here. Let's go on here. Because making known the mystery is something I need to explain to you. We're going to see the word mystery used seven times, and I'll amplify it more elsewhere in the book. But at this point, I just want you to know that the word mystery refers to an unforeseen event or activity or something that's going on. So in the Old Testament, we're going along, and we're imagining the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to rescue the world and that'll be the end of the world. But God has placed a parenthesis in there called the mystery, which is the church. Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying for us so that we could be in this church age. That is the mystery. And so if you read the verses, it says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He's going to unite the Gentiles and the Jews, and they're going to come together in a way that was never in, anticipated in the Old Testament. But now as it's coming, we have this New Testament, this new age that is the mystery of Christ. I would suggest that the spiritual routine is involvement in that gift, that church that God has given to us. That we're involved in church, attending church certainly, but using our spiritual gifts and serving and doing whatever we're going to do. How are you going to help a child experience the, the uh, identity in Christ? You're going to bring them to church and serve with them. It's, you remember at the beginning I showed you those two graphs where sometimes parents, I think, make a mistake when they um, emphasize something like sports. Sports are not bad, but if sports take children away from church continually, then they're missing something very important. We have to ask the question, in the end, what's going to be most important? When this, when this adult is 30 years old and struggling in his marriage and trying to deal with his identity, what's going to be most important? Is it the spiritual truths he's learned or is it going to be that he played first base? Okay, so we have to be thinking about what 
is most important in our children's lives. I, it just breaks my heart when I talk to parents of 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds, and these children sometimes left the faith or, or they've wandered off. And, and I'm not saying that that's parents' fault. Every child has to make their own decision. But I'm saying there's a lot we can do to build that spiritual identity in a child. Young people, you want to be working on that now. And certainly as adults, we all want to be working on this in our lives. So that's the spiritual routine here is church involvement. Let's go to the next one. Obtain an inheritance. Just the idea makes you feel better about yourself, doesn't it? That you have an inheritance. Just imagine you had, you, someone came and told you, hey, you've just inherited a million dollars. Wouldn't that make you feel good? Whoa, that's great. Do I have to pay taxes on that? It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. There's this, there's this inheritance we have that is so valuable that it changes the way we think. Here, here's an example. I'm driving along on the freeway, and there's this, somebody comes by. You know how these people do sometimes. They're cutting in and out of traffic, and they're just plain irritating and annoying. kind of makes you angry, and you want to kind of do whatever you can to prevent them from doing what they're doing. You know, you just have that feeling. Um, and, and so I, here's what I've been saying to myself. The person who's running around doing that crazy stuff on the freeway is obviously trying to find something. They're trying to get somewhere. Um, they're trying to make a living or they're trying to get whatever they want um, because they don't have it yet. I already have it. I have an inheritance in Christ. I don't be running around trying to make a living by cutting people off and being rude. I already have my inheritance. I can let the other person go and say, okay, go for it. I feel like I already won the game, okay? I, I've got the answer already. You obviously don't, so go ahead and go find it wherever you're going to find it. But I've got it already, you see. And I think that's the idea that's described here for us with an inheritance. When we live with this inheritance, we have what we need. The supply is there. We can feel great about ourselves. We can have this attitude toward ourselves that's, that's very positive because of what Christ has done. And so I think the spiritual routine there is giving. Maybe giving money. Certainly, I think that's one of the reasons we give is because we have this richness of an inheritance. But it's also giving kindness, sharing our kindness with other people. It's all power, part of this that we exercise this. If you want to uh, exercise this part of your identity, then I think giving does that. What I'm trying to do is give you the practical tools to explain this to a five-year-old, and maybe us 50-year-olds will be able to figure it out too. Let's go to the next one. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Interesting one. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now notice, first of all, that where do you get the Holy Spirit? It's when you, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, that's when this seal takes place. So you receive the Holy Spirit. That's when the, the seal uh, takes place in your life. And notice he's a guarantee or a, a down payment for the inheritance. Let me explain this to you. The inheritance is all this stuff that God is going to give us, particularly eternity, that we're going to enjoy. But presently we have the down payment, which is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives us a little glimpse of heaven and what heaven's going to be like. That's what it's like. And so we, you need to get to know the Holy Spirit. 
You want to appreciate what the Holy Spirit is doing. He has several different roles in our lives. He guides us into all truth. He illumines the Scriptures so that we can understand them. He's the one who convicts us of sin. He points out direction in our lives. So he's doing these things. I would suggest that this is the experiential side of the Christian life. In our tradition, we emphasize the academic side of the Christian life a lot. It's very important that we realize the truth is important. We're always looking for the truth. We want to make decisions based on God's Word, the truth. The, there's an experiential side of the Christian life that some other traditions embrace more than maybe we do. Maybe the Pentecostal, charismatic side is more about experience. I think they have something we need. I think all of us need to also understand the experiential side of the Christian life, and so do our children. That we're going through life not just learning Bible stories, but we're letting God lead us, and the Holy Spirit is directing traffic in our lives. And so we can appreciate that and see what He's doing. That is really what's taking place here. So that as we see God direct us, and, and we see Him reveal something new out of His Word, and we see Him work out details in our lives, we can share our faith with other people. Let me tell you what God did for me. And that's why I suggest that that's the spiritual routine we might engage in so that we can share our faith with other people because God is doing something in our lives. We can share it experientially, which will hopefully bring us back down to the truth, the bedrock truth, the academic part that we all need, that we're not doing this just so we feel good. We're doing whatever we're doing because we're embedded in God's Word and what He's designed for us. Six different things about our identity mentioned in this passage. We've just touched on them. I'd encourage you to go deeper with each one so that you can understand this identity. I'd encourage you to take these and develop them with your children so they're understanding what their identity is in Christ so that when they face the challenges of life, they'll be able to handle them more effectively. So I want to define these for you. Uh, you might take a picture of this if you want them. It says this, because I think these words are important, and I want to redeem them for the Lord so I'm going to define them in spiritual terms and theological terms so we understand them. Identity, having a clear understanding of who we are in relation to God and what He has done for us. We are rooted in the realization that we are God's image bearers and redeemed through Jesus Christ. Self-concept, a psychological sense of self-concept is based on external factors and personal experiences, but a biblical sense of self-concept is rooted in the truth of who God is and what He has done for us and is shaped by our relationship with Him. Our attitude that we have, our self-concept, is shaped by our relationship with Him. So our continual interaction with God helps us to understand and appreciate what God has done for us and gives us a greater sense of self-concept. Let's go to the other one, self-esteem. This one's most challenged, I think, in the Christian community, but that's okay. Well, let's look at it anyway. Self-esteem. Well, a psycho psychological sense of self-esteem is based on external factors and personal accomplishments. A biblical sense of self-esteem takes into account the reality of our brokenness and sinfulness and recognizes that our true worth and value are found in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This sense of self-esteem helps individuals to see themselves in light of who they are in Christ and to live in a way that reflects their identity in Him. Thus, they can feel positively about themselves in life because they are rooted in Christ. See, I'm convinced this is the message that God wants us to understand in Ephesians chapter 1. We're talking about identity. We're talking about who we are, and it changes how we live. If you want to be a different kind of a person, all you have to do is find out who you are in Christ, and that'll start you on this pilgrimage to address the particular issues that you're facing. Let me draw it out a different way. 
If we start at the bottom, we look at the bedrock truth of who God is and what He's done for us. That's where we start. And from that, we can then develop our identity, our self-concept, and our self-esteem. And why do we do that? Because it's going to do something for us. See, when you have a clear identity and a strong self-concept and high self-esteem rooted in Christ, it's going to help you to have more purpose in life and mission. You'll understand that. Your confidence will increase, especially when you're attacked. That's why we need this resilience. Increased resilience. When people try to knock you down, you can stand back up. You, you mess up and you recognize, oh, I've been forgiven. You have resilience in your life. Better decision-making you'll be able to have because you have this greater sense of identity and stronger relationships. This is so important. This is the beginning of a whole study in Ephesians. I'm excited to go through this whole book, but this is where it starts. God wants us to experience all that he has for us, and it starts with our understanding of who we are in Christ. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and thank you for all you've done. It becomes very practical when we start thinking about our own selves or our children or uh, the teenagers here, Lord, each one of us trying to figure out who we are. We don't start by exploring the world or taking tests or something. We start by reading your word, understanding what you say about us. So, Lord, we're grateful for that privilege. We thank you for the opportunity we have to serve you and to get to know you more in our lives. Thank you for the identity that you've given to us. We appreciate it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.